laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Huh? We should have this person locked up and looked at. Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Murs and David Horning on this week's episode. So they are taking all of the context of the environment that we're in, removing all of that, and attempting to turn entertainment into a political statement, which is the weirdest fucking thing I've noticed. And I hate all of you that do that. Let's be honest. Work sucks. There's a reason we don't look forward to Monday mornings and we look forward to Friday nights. But what if we could change that? That's why there's water cooler comedy. Did you know that incorporating humor into your work makes you more creative, more innovative, and more collaborative? Well, that's why we bring in professional comedians to break up the monotony of the work week with a fun comedy show. Or you can bring in a keynote speaker to share new ideas for how to incorporate humor into the everyday activities of the workplace. Or we have a program called Creative Kickoffs, where we start your day, your meeting, your Monday by bringing your team together with improv exercises and fun team building activities. It's water cooler comedy. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at Comedy Cooler, on Instagram at Water Cooler Comedy, and on our website at watercoolercomedy.org because work is the time and place to laugh. Who are you? Uh, Steve. Yeah, this is, <laughs> we're, we're Steve Dave, Dave Steve, Steven and, Steven yeah. and David. And uh, this is uh, You Can't Laugh at That, a podcast where we take topics that some people say you can't laugh at and we I prove them wrong. You. Sorry, I can't tell you how excited I am that Jeremy's on. Yeah, and uh, our uh, our producer, who's the man behind the curtain most of the yes. time, uh, he fought his way out here and yeah. uh, proved that he's worthy to be on this podcast, Jeremy Demery. I've been doing podcasting now for out of this room for six months, and this is the first podcast I'm on. Exactly, like he yeah, had to fight yeah, his yeah, way yeah, out yeah, of the room. Yeah. Good job. Nice. He's done it. Uh, Jeremy, uh, tell him a little bit about Golden Ox Studios. So this is a studio dedicated to podcasting. Um I run it out from a company. Uh, this, I guess that's all really all I got. It's really not that exciting. <laughs> I have a podcast studio, and I read the most. I run it out to other people so they can come in and do their podcasts and uh, hit me up on goldenoxstudio.com. Then you can you can book your time there. Yeah, man, the internet is super amazing. You can do that. I love it. Uh-huh. And uh, you know what else is super amazing about the internet is uh, I was able to contact uh, Raj Suresh, our hey. guest today, hey, through the internet. Yeah, through Facebook. Through Facebook. And, uh, you know, it's world's coming together, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's, I feel like Cleveland, I've been in Cleveland now for, what, a year? Yeah, yeah, a, little, yeah. a little over a year. So it's neat. Comedy scene's good. There's a lot of people. I'm, I don't know if people uh, in Cleveland know of me, but they will <laughs> at some <laughs> point. But I inevitably either get really good at comedy or help the animals break out of the zoo. That is, the zoo here is in the middle of the hood, which makes no sense at all. Yeah, right. It's like, go to the zoo. You got to earn your trip to the zoo. It's in a little divot almost. There's a highway that goes right over it. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I'm, like, always concerned because there's, like, elephants and tigers and shit down there. The Valley Zoo. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what it is. That's anyway. your that's your big concern uh, moving to Cleveland? Yeah, well, no, I had other concerns moving to Cleveland, but weather was the first one. Weather, I mean, like, today is a beautiful day outside, and we are in an attic of a fortress of some kind, which is where, <laughs> this, which is where the studio is. What was it again? The Ukrainian Ballet Theater? It's Ukrainian Labor Temple. Oh, that's right. Um, today, we are going to talk about stereotypes, like nice. ethnic stereotypes. So we were like, hey, let's bring in a brown dude, and yeah. here we go. I know a lot about stereos, wireless, wired, <laughs> antenna, <laughs> antennae. Iowa sound, remember those? Yeah, <laughs> All the different types of stereos? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah every kind. You know What's what your favorite? My, of, of all the stereotypes mm-hmm. or of all the stereos? Of all the stereotypes, types um, of stereos. <laughs> my my favorite. Well, my favorite thing that I I think I utilize is America's ignorance about the different kinds of brown people. So I make terrorism jokes, but there's like there's no real. There are Indian terrorists, I'm sure, but there's no. That's not an accepted stereotype of us. But I can play the Arab stereotype against just how I look, which I think that's like it gives me width into a community I'm not yeah. from. I'm co-opting. Arab pain is what I'm doing. That's, <laughs> Jeremy is what you're half Arab. Half Arab, yeah. But so you understand what that must feel like? Oh yeah, all the and, time. <laughs> we make jokes about it, and uh, it's, especially when you're, it's time to fly somewhere. Yeah, that's the best. Those are the best kind of jokes. But see, if I didn't know, I mean, I wouldn't assume that you were an Arab person if I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, that's the difference between you and I. Where like you're fighting the stereotype of looking like an Arab, where I have right. to fight the stereotype of looking like a white person who is Arab. Right. Which is weird. Right, right, right. Yeah, so. so you get the whole Cat Stevens thing. Like a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. People just assume I'm Jewish most of the time. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. See, I think that that too, like you can't, like, there's going to be people that I'm assuming will listen to this podcast and instantly been like, what? Like, what did they just say? Like, you know, I don't like those people. It's a comedy podcast. Open yeah. your mind. Yeah. Shut your mouth. That's, <laughs> what we're, that's what we're trying to do here today. Yeah. Um, I like that stereotype. The stereotypes I don't like, or I'm very confused as to how they came about, is this British notion of politeness and civility. Like these are, if you look at British history, they're some of the most violent people the earth has ever known. <laughs> so, I, I was going to ask. I can't believe that's really a thing. Yeah. I mean, uh, Not I mean, all British, just most of you. Okay. <laughs> I think they like to talk about civility more than they like to practice civility. I mean, I even George Washington wrote a whole book about it. Uh, in the beginning part of the country, uh, rules of civility and decent behavior mm-hmm. in company and something or other. I can't remember the whole title. It's a really long title of the book, but it's essentially how what it means to be uh, a civil American and how to – and he's essentially trying to shape the culture of what it means to be an American through this book. It was, yeah. a, it was a top seller for a long time, <clears throat> and it was just post his presidency, too. So hmm. he was really trying to fight this idea of, like, what the go- how the government should operate on a civil level. So that's why we have all these, like, checks and balances, even the way uh, they talk to each other in Congress, where they have, like, set times. Where you don't see that in English uh, or British culture as far as politics are concerned. Right. They're just constantly shouting at each other, which is exciting as an American to watch. Yeah. But it is pretty, like, it's tough to hear what the fuck's going on with anybody. Right. 
because they're all shouting over each other and like, oh, da, oh, da. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that stare, the British stereotype is twofold for me, in my opinion. Uh, it's kind of like where government behavior and peasantry or like civilian surf behavior class, is different. Uh, kind of like with Russia, if you go, oh, I fucking hate Russia. I'm talking about Putin. I'm not talking about Russian people. Russian people are right. great. Uh, like, or, you know, they're people that can be bad or good. But um, with British people, it's also partly contrast. Human or um, the the Americans are more like it's our stereotype is we're crude or whatever. And so right. that contrast is what makes them seem so polite. And that's like a London thing, too. I don't think generally British people are like that whole, like, posh London, like, ooh, I'm super, let's have tea. You know, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, for as, like, uh, proper as they try to come across, they are responsible for some of the biggest atrocities ever in history. Yeah. Like, they've taken over so many different countries and tried to impose their culture on those countries. Yeah. Whether it be America, India, Africa, the list goes on and on and on. And then at some point in time, they just decided, oh, we're like them in America decided, like, oh, we're the, we're the now, we're the justice system for the rest of the world. And so, like, they have that joke about how, you know, do you think when uh, America and Britain found out there was this whole group of Germans rounding up and relocating indigenous people to that country, they were like, fuck that, that's our thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, they're like, what? What makes them think they can do that? That's what we do. This is a normalcy yeah. woke podcast about not being woke. Research right there is like, and Jeremy Gang is a uh, half native, so he is the authority on all kinds of pain. Yeah, no, he's got. <laughs> <laughs> he's got. He's got that rounded up, man. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, oh, man, we're, we're going to talk about like why stereotype. Like, why don't people? You know, why why they make why it makes people uncomfortable, but also why they can be a good thing, right? Um, and then how we can laugh at like both levels of that. Uh, before we dive into that a little bit deeper, I would love to play a clip of Raj's uh, stand up. Sure. Uh, this is off of his album Semi Famous. Yeah. yeah. Um, would you like to introduce the clip? Yeah, so um, it's fairly self-explanatory, but I, I grew up overseas on a tiny island called Bahrain, and we had a bunch of uh, different ethnicities, nationalities, um, and yeah, they influenced the culture of the island, brought their own unique cultures with them, and part of that is obviously fast food, religions, uh, Ellen DeGeneres, all of that <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, that's the clip. All right, let's do this. I grew up in the Middle East, but I'm Indian. I'm from the great nation of India, the, not the kind of Indian... I'm. How do I put, I'm a computer, not casino Indian. That's, that's the kind of Indian I am. So I grew up there, and every now and then I'll take trips back. Like I took a trip back to India uh, last December. And India is a wonderful place. And if you should know anything about it, you should know this. It's a very diverse place. Every single religion, color of people, race, creed, it's all represented there. Like, if you were really to look at India, it's like one of those giant strip malls where you have every single fast food outlet. That's what we're like. You could represent every religion in India with a different fast food outlet. Like Christianity would be like a McDonald's because it's by white people, for white people. It's pretty good. It's all over the world. <laughs> Panera is like, a, like Buddhism because it's really fucking expensive. You have to give up all your material possessions. <laughs> but you get to eat a vegan diet at the end so you'll feel good about yourself. <laughs> Hinduism is like a Taco Bell. It's great when you're looking for answers at 2 a.m., but there's just a lot of shit to pick through. 
Islam's like a Chipotle. Because <laughs> normally it's great, but then you have one bad explosive experience and you will never forgive them. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to get in trouble. I'll get in trouble for that. But so you earned that applause break. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but so that bit is actually so uh, the lead into it. So I know I said that, uh, you know, I grew up in Bahrain, Middle East, and that's where the bit comes from. Right. But like the I think the content that I was describing before that just leads into doing India better because I don't have to set up like in an album format. You want to get the laugh as quick as possible. Because if you're a listener, you're not going to wait to see the joke build most of the time. So, yeah, that's, a, that's, I think, a decision that I made, like, when I was at the show, if not the day of. Where I was just like, I can just compress this down, change the, change the vicinity, and that way I can go straight from doing the computer casino bit. I'm Indian from India and just do it that way. Um, but, yeah, there's so many, A, like, just equal opportunity offensiveness is what I'm going for there, right? Like every single religion, or at least all the major religions, there's a pun about me being either Native American or just like East Indian Indian or Asian Indian. I don't even know what you would call it, South Asian. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the bit. Uh, I love the fast food analogy. Yeah. How many How many different... A fast food restaurants like how how long did it take you to craft that joke like, did you have different restaurants that you tried that didn't work like how did I think it, it to came be? together pretty swiftly honestly I had I had the Christianity line um, I've since actually added Mormonism to it too mm. so like I compare Mo- Mormonism to Arby's and I'm basically like because Arby's is a lot like McDonald's but there's just something a little bit off about it people keep <laughs> <offering> <laughs> meat. then I added like Scientology and like a bunch of, like I just kept stacking that like little lines in there mm-hmm. um so yeah, I mean, there's that joke generally works. It always gets real tight when I do it in America. It gets real tight in the beginning because like it's a majority Christian audience, and they're like, "Where the fuck are you going with this?" And then when I do the Mormonism line, it just releases all that tension because for whatever reason, Mormonism is like the little brother of Christianity that everyone likes to pick on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I do the Hinduism line, that's really where it opens up because like now I'm making fun of myself. And they can see, like, this is stagger-stepping so that it's not just an assault on, quote-unquote, white-dominated religions, right? Right. So, yeah, that's the when – I, I, when I thought about constructing the bit, I don't even remember. I think I was just, like, open-miking it for a while. But when I was down in Arkansas, I barely open-miked. Like, I, there was a good two- to three-year stretch where I didn't go to mics at all. Like, I just would sit and write. I would do one show a month, and that was it. Yeah, and travel a little bit and do shows in other places. I mean, pardon me for my ignorance of Arkansas, but were there yeah. a lot of open mic nights? No, there, I think there was. I think there was maybe one, maybe two in the area that you're in. And if you want to go hit like a um, like another mic, the closest big city is like Tulsa. Outside of like the area I I lived in, so Bentonville, Fayetteville, there's I think one or two mics at the time, and then you had to drive two hours to go do like a Wednesday mic each way in Tulsa after a day job. So. It's it's kind of a breakneck day, right? And you're gonna spend gas and tolls and all of that getting there and getting back. So for five minutes, like exactly, yeah. yeah. So for me, it was a lot easier to just sit in my little apartment, right, and then do a thirty minute set once a month, like that. That fixed it for me, or that was kind of how I worked out. 
you know, or workshop material. And, wow. that, and that's, I feel like that's a lot tougher too, when, especially when you're doing material like this, like, yeah, yeah. you've got to tiptoe that line and figure out what works, what doesn't, where do people's buttholes tighten? Where it's they, an echo know? chamber for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that was the hardest part. Like in terms of venues, there are smaller venues for sure that I could have booked in Bentonville. But like when I started doing comedy, it was a uh, one, 177 seat room. That's what it could hold. So you are getting, I think, a good read, but you've also now exposed all of these people to material that's not even ready. And it can give you a, a false sense of confidence or honestly a false sense of criticism as well mm -hmm. when, when people aren't into it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's honestly, like I listen to this album now. The one thing I'm happy with is that A, it stands the test, test of time decently. Like the jokes... Um, literally 24 hours before I put it out, somebody saw the album cover who was at uh, a local club, liked it, sent it over to his label, and then the label contacted me and was like, okay, like we'll put this out for you, but will you delay release by like a month? And I'm so glad I did it. Like Label deals suck because you lose a percentage, but then I look at the improvements. So Ross Duncliffe is the guy over at, the, at Ontour Records who edited and produced and really gave me some constructive feedback. I would think I was like his 52nd release or something like that. Mm -hmm. So at that point, he knows, like, he cut out all my Trump jokes. He cut out all the politics for the most part. There's one Trump joke in here, and it's not even, I don't even say his name in it. Mm -hmm. um, so he cut out everything topical, and he took, we recorded four times, um, this, essentially the same show, but ranging from about an hour to as, as much as 106 minutes, so an hour 40. So I did that four nights in a row, and he stacked all of it, and he's basically like, there's one show in here where you got 90% of what we need, and then you can scrap the rest, essentially. Um, and yeah, so it was, a, it was super interesting what he chose to omit and what he said, like, hey, leave this on the editing room floor, work on this joke for a couple more years, and then come back with it. And then there's, there were folks who are active comedians that I really look up to, that have like all the late-night credits, First piece of advice they said, like the one guy that I ask often for advice, his name is Julian McCulloch. He's actually playing Hilarities New Year's weekend. Hilarious guy. He's like, don't even put it out. Like that was his first advice. <laughs> He's like, I'm like years and years in and I don't have an album. But I was looking at it from the perspective of if I'm ever going to scale this, like I can't, there's no way I can get a credit out of Arkansas. Like there's no TV, there's no, there's no comedy being filmed for the most part of the time. Um, so I'm like, this is pretty much, if I can get this out and get it to chart, that's something I can send to bookers. It's a pretty gimme credit, right? Like, hey, I chart an iTunes album, but it's better than nothing. Yeah. When Especially when, like, you know, the comedy clubs out there have guys who are living in L.A. and they're either laughs on Fox or, you know, last comic standing. Like, you can't, it's really hard to break into that without a single credit to your name. So this, yeah, this was that. And what I what I loved about it is, like, I recorded this in an area that is, Bentonville is a little bubble. It's a very, very rich city because Walmart is headquartered there. So every single Fortune 100 company that deals with them has to have an office there. Mm. Um, so just by sheer virtue of that, you're going to get a lot of people moving from the coastal cities, progressives, Democrats, sort of influencing and changing the culture of a very red-blooded state that voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump in the primaries. Um, and they're still laughing. And that was interesting for me. Like I spent as just being a brown dude living there for five years. I was like, damn, man, like I actually really made a lot of friends that believe in the exact opposite thing that I do 
we were able to bond over like drinking fireball and comedy. Like it's it's cool. <laughs> human shit. Nothing. You're never yeah. more human than when you laugh and drink fireball. I think that's exactly. I think I've read that in a philosophy book yeah. somewhere. You read it on one of those Pinterest pages. Yeah, Pinterest board. <laughs> I thought it was Carlin who said that. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it painted on some white girl's wall. Yeah, uh, you know, in that, in that weird like wishy-washy paintbrush. Yeah, across uh, from Live, Laugh, Love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, coming up in Arkansas, you yeah. know, being being uh, a minority, like, is is there a big South Asian community? There's there? a, there's six thousand Indians in Bentonville. It's a town of sixty thousand. Okay. Um, and that's again all driven by Walmart. They need data warehousing and IT specialists, and that's for the most part, what the Indian people there are. So that's where your your computer, not casino Indian joke. I mean, there, there's some that, truth in that. I mean, obviously. Um, no, that came. That actually came from, so you might have seen me do the bit. I've, I took just that line and expanded it out. Right. Because the way it takes place in real life, like I did a show at a casino in Oklahoma, and there was literally a Native American dude in the front row that didn't laugh at a single joke. So after I went up to him and I was like, hey, what's up? Like, why didn't you laugh? And he was like, yeah, didn't understand the stereotypes. I'm Indian. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, yeah, I'm Cherokee. What are you? And like, that's the actual bit. And I was trying to explain to him. And he said, oh, so you're like dot, not feather. And I was like, don't say that. Like, that's yeah. a horrible way <laughs> right. to phrase it. And then I go, but then I like saw his face fall. Cause like, that's the worst part about being a comedian is when you become serious for two seconds, you see the, what the fuck expression register on people's faces like it's so dichotomous they're like wait you were just joking around up there and now you're being serious off stage something is it doesn't fit yeah so then i like dialed it back and i was like computer not casino like that's the difference between us so i love that joke so much yeah thanks i've added tags to that too i think i say computer not casino uh taxes not tribes or (laughs) (laughs) i've added like three or four levels to it now I mean, you so, can keep going. You can go, yeah. go for days. Yeah. Days. Um, okay. So as far as stereotypes, this topic, yeah. um, people are, I mean, like the moment you start talking about stereotypes, like mm-hmm. you, you, you can notice that the room just gets tense. Right. Uh, why do you think that is? Like why, I mean, are we, because it's mostly... Part of Another it is race that that is like feeling offended for right you know, somebody on, who's on not, behalf on be, exactly, of, and this is why like I've tried to explain this so much. I, nothing will annoy me more than like you know <laughs> white people trying to co-op pain that they've never experienced. Uh, it's it's this pseudo concern, right? I've made this joke before where it's like it's there are liberals out there that you know will tell you how much they love immigrants and hate Donald Trump's policies after they've polished off a couple of lines of coke. And it's like this, you are creating the problem that those immigrants are running from. And they never understand that. Like, and th- at the same time, there's people on the right that do math so fucking badly. They're like, oh, like welfare uh, abuse and immigrant, illegal immigration is the problem. But they have they have zero concern about like military industrial complex, private privatization of prisons, none of that. Like they're not, so on both sides, there's the hard lefts and hard rights are fucking idiots for the, for the most part, um, this notion that like everybody is entitled to recognition, respect, personhood, all true and incredibly idealistic. Like minorities were not surprised that Donald Trump won because we saw it coming a mile away because what we are used to is a world where people say one thing and do another. And we've gotten very good at recognizing when we're being bullshitted, essentially. Even in this election, this one will be tighter but I can still tell you it's not going to be 
the the camps are so entrenched at this point. There's very few people coming to center, and there was a childish kickback response, I think, from the left, where they went, "If those guys are just going to be bullies, we're going to be just as bad on the other side." And I understand that. Like, there's only so much high road you can take, and then you start mudslinging. And stereotypes, for whatever reason, right now are touchy because the first place it goes is for whatever reason, people are now connecting comedy with offen- offensiveness or offendedness with PC culture with who did you vote for. Hmm. So hmm. they are taking all of the context of the environment that we're in, removing all of that, and attempting to turn entertainment into a political statement, which is the weirdest fucking thing I've noticed. And I hate all of you that do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with it. I hate that. Um yeah, like I saw on, on social media today, or not today, it was earlier this week, yeah. uh, this girl that I worked with in New York posted about the person on her, um, on the train next to her, it right. was like her top searches or whatever were like Donald Trump and make Amer- and keep America great yeah. and Mike Pence and all these things. And she's like, should I be afraid? And it's like, no, this is, what do you think, what do you think this person's going to do? What do you think this person's capable of? They have opinions. Like, yeah, we all do, you know, it's whatever. Statistically, it depends on who the person is. But I mean, I, I think the simple answer to most of this stuff is you need to go out and meet people that are not like you. I lived around Trump voters that are, I'll, I'll say two things about them. They're not as bad. And they are not every single choice of the person that they voted for, even if they agree with Right. But I feel like it, on some level, and this is my point of view, uh, that stereotyping can uh, can like lead to creating connection. And like, you know, I mean, if 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 you can laugh at your own like race or yeah. religion or gender stereotypes. Right. It's like all of a sudden we have a connection we're both laughing at the same thing. And like we can. I don't know if you there, you, there's you there are stereotypes that. that uh yeah, I mean, like, even in the bit, like, the religion's joke, it's it's the same thing. Once you make fun of all four, now, that's an analogy bit more than a stereotype bit, but there's beneficial stereotypes to being Indian just as much as there are bad ones. Like, people will naturally assume that, A, you're probably, like, somewhat intellectual. Like, there's things that Indians definitely, and same thing with, like, we discussed British people, right? They're afforded this idea that they are inherently, quote-unquote, safe and civil and polite uh, as a culture. Um so, you know, there's there's stereotypes that I don't know if I'm playing the stereotype card, but I definitely know that sometimes I can walk into a situation and there's a certain assumption that either I'm going to be better at math or whatever the fuck it is yeah. um, and leverage <laughs> that. I do think that you have to be able – stereotypes are a mild way of discussing what I think are the underlying unsaid things that that people think about other cultures. And if you never address them, then they're going to come to their own their own conclusions, and that's dangerous. Yeah. Like, I like – this is going to sound weird, but I like the bull in the china shop, MAGA hat wearing guys that just – they wear their colors loudly because I see that guy a mile away, and I can have the conversation with him. Mm-hmm. The guy I don't like is the one that's like, you know, in, in the daytime, he's wearing a police uniform, and at nighttime, he's burning a cross. Like, that guy bothers yeah. me, right? Um so I prefer, like, when I was in college, I did this thing called the Race Relation, Race Relations Project, where we sit down with 12 strangers at a time. I would moderate sessions, and there were something like 6 to 10 students, and this program is still running at Penn State. They'll even go into Rockview, which is a maximum security prison, and talk to, like, KKK guys, random groups of people that are nothing like each other, wow. and put them all in the same room. 
and really just facilitate a conversation between them and see where it goes, like where these biases and prejudices come from. Mm. And I personally know of like three dudes that I'm so tight with that when we started college, they were as redneck as it comes. Um, you know, like hated the fact that I used to make fun of George Bush and everything like that. I liked soccer and like, you know, I came from overseas. <laughs> soccer. That's the big Yeah. Thing. And, and then like, you, you know, like two months ago I was at the guy's wedding. Like wow. that's, that's a crazy turnaround. Like pe- people change over time. You have to afford them that flexibility. And if you don't, then I guess both, at, both parties end up losing. I mean, it's, that's a tough thing because it, you have to find the right persons wo- who's willing to accept the differences right. across the table. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, I love when people differ from my point of view. I love the discord. But you also have to take into consideration the person across from you may not enjoy it as much as you do. Right. And so you need to find the right person to have those types of conversations with. And they're willing to accept your differences as well as you accepting theirs. Right. It, yeah. It's a sense of openness. And I think that's where just being open to new things. I think that's where comedy is so powerful is that like if you can get somebody like that hard right wing yeah. person to laugh. Uh, from like your point of view, right. maybe about them, then you've made a connection and you've like proven to them on a subconscious level that yeah, you, you can be open about this. Like, well, that's the thing. So I did that. Sh- I did that show on Saturday in Avon Lake, right? Rich white seaside town um, where there's not a ton <laughs> going, not a ton of minorities or whatever. Yeah. At that show, for whatever reason, the young folks that came had very diverse groups of friends, and the older folks that came, everyone kind of looked like each other. There's and the comics kept calling the older table like the old table. So like one of the things I did is I went up and I was like, "Hey, let's like not call them old. Like that just feels mean." And the <laughs> one woman who, because I saw her expression, like she looked mad every time. Like Brian was on before me, he was calling them old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I said it and I saw her like lighten up. And then I did another joke. Five seconds later, I was like, oh, yeah, I've been in the country 10 years. And she goes, so why aren't you a doctor yet? <laughs> and I'm like, what the oh, fuck? Wow. I'm like, I just defended you for not being like a crazy old person. And now here you are with this shit. Mm. Um, and then after the show, I ended up chatting with those folks. And the one guy had some pretty insane opinions, honestly, about just like, and I've heard this notion echoed a lot. And it's only because I'm doing comedy that I think they felt comfortable in the first place. Like they they know kind of what my tolerance for race jokes are Mm. and so people will come up and have a conversation but i've heard one notion more often than anything else when it comes to the immigration debate which is as a legal immigrant aren't you should be very mad at the illegal immigrants that are coming here and every single time it's like no i'm not like you don't get to fuck them over and then somehow convince me that you're not fucking me over too like immigration to the united states is race-based so or nationality based. So if you're born in the UK, it's like three to five years to get a green card. If you're Indian, Mexican, Chinese, or Filipino, it's 10 to 12 years. And all of that is because they issue like the same number of cards, whether you're in Singapore, which has the smallest population in the world, or India, which or China, which is the biggest, you get the same number of green cards allocated to each country because they want to make the United States diverse. It's complete bullshit because like 80% of the country is white. So that's not true at all. But that's just how government policy operates. Um, and it's in doing comedy and opening up that level of comfortability that people will come up and expose their views. And there was there was a course correction. Like I told a guy up front, like, hey, I'm not mad at them. This country has bigger problems. Like we have veteran suicide through the roof. 
water, like lead in the water in Flint, like none of that shit is getting fixed. Our uh, our median, uh, uh, our life expectancy has dropped for the first time in, in decades. Right? I it's mean, a free fall yeah. right now, they're saying. Yeah, more suicides, <laughs> more mental. Uh, I mean, yeah. the median age of onset depression is now 14 years old. Like what? That's when it when it when it was thirty right thirty years ago, you know, it's ridiculous. So but I'd, I mean, I'd be right. curious to what it was in the Great Depression. Uh, <laughs> it was you great. It, yeah. yeah, the amount of depression was great. Cicada pie is delicious. See, <laughs> 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 um, um, I, I see you have Ronnie Chang pulled up. Yeah, um, yeah, that uh, that that kind of um, kind of segue into that. Um, he has a bit. I mean, it's it's all about making connections. It's all right. about like being open to our own stereotypes, but also stereotypes of others. And I think he does a great job with this joke. Uh, he frames it a little bit differently. Right. Um, let's just listen to it. I can sit here explain, or I can just hit play. I don't know what it's like to be a minority Asian, because I come from Asia. We're all Asian over there, all right? <laughs> I don't know what it's like to be like a minority. I encountered Asian stereotypes for the first time when I moved to America. Never encountered Asian stereotypes before. All these Asian stereotypes, like Asian people are good at math. I didn't know that. <laughs> In Asia, we're all good at math. <laughs> I didn't know that was a skill set. I didn't know square rooting seven was difficult. I just did it. <laughs> just did it again in my head. <laughs> For fun. That's how I entertain myself in between jokes. There's so much going on up here. Or oh, the other Asian stereotype, Asian people are bad drivers. I didn't know that. In Asia, we drive, we crash, we get into another car, then we continue on, right? That's how we get from A to B, right? What are you talking about? Or oh, the biggest stereotype, or should I say the smallest stereotype? Asian people have small dicks. I didn't know that. Asian people have small dicks. I have nothing to compare it to. <laughs> Who the fuck measured enough dicks to get a large enough sample size <laughs> to reduce your standard deviation down to an acceptable margin of error? That's what I want. It's tied back to well, I mean, he brings it up, and it's like, oh, he's going to talk about it. But the way he like he ties it together, yeah, yeah, he yeah. bookends it with the math. Like he right. starts with the math, driving dicks back to math. Boom! Um, That's so good. But I mean, he he addresses the elephant in the room, and he does it in such a way that like we're on his side too. He's like, I didn't yeah. know this was a stereotype. Like it's it's well, really the, the beauty of that bit is he actually confirms the bias at the mm -hmm. end, right? Like so, it's like you don't know. Like he goes, the stereotype's wrong. The second one's wrong. The third one is wrong because, and then he explains the math. Which reaffirms the first one. So, I think what like Ronnie Ronnie has a pretty um, insane story too. Like I think he's an Asian immigrant. I think he went to Australia if I'm not wrong. Yep. Yeah, University of Melbourne, and then somehow ended up on the Daily Show. Which him and Roy Wood Jr. Man, they write together and like they put out clips and stuff. It's it's hilarious. They did one about like the Asian eyes. You know what I'm talking about? When people would like stretch their face to do a quote unquote mm -hmm. Asian eyes. It's considered offensive, but like they discuss that and it's hilarious. I think Ronnie is like, I can do that, but you can't to Roy. He's like, he's, he's like, it's like the N word. I can do it, but you can't. It's like the N word, but silent. Like, yeah. <laughs> and if you watch the clip, it cracks me up. It's on Roy with juniors, Instagram. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a solid comic. Yeah. He really, I, I, 
just discovered him a few months ago. I was like, why haven't I, why haven't I heard yeah. of this dude before? Uh, I don't watch a lot of the Daily Show. I watch he, like some of the He was here show. for a while. Right. He, he did a bunch of shows here when the RNC was here. Right. And I saw him in New York at the Comedy Cellar, and I've been a fan of his. It's like Gary Gullman. I saw these things. I saw them at, in New York, and it's like fan for life. Okay. Kind of he did Barrio out here, right? You were actually wearing the hoodie from the taco shop where he performed. I'm pretty sure he did he Hilaria did, at Barrio. He did Barrio, yeah. yeah him and awesome. Roy Wood Jr. did. That's awesome. They were so nice. I was telling you guys about this. Before. So I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna tell were, people yeah. then that I opened for Roy Wood Jr. and <laughs> Ronnie Chang because we performed nice. at the same venue, yeah. <laughs> at different so times. I actually, a couple years ago at that same casino, so I hosted for Roy Wood Jr. and he was the nicest guy, man. Like just tons of advice, um, and he was just like, you know, stay at it. Like when you get to like New York or LA, like shoot me a message. And I, I'm sure people say that, but like he actually. Weirdly enough, like occasionally I'll text him something and he'll like text back, and it's always nice to have that feedback loop, right? Same thing mm-hmm, with Julian. Yeah, like mm-hmm. uh, slowly as you grow within the within comedy, it's neat to have a couple people. And the funny thing is, like I didn't realize this, but he was a Southern comic. He like w- when we played that casino, I was like, he's like, yeah, do you do the bins? I was like, no, and he's like, and I was like, how do you know about that? And he's like, oh, I'm an Alabama comic, so this is I would run the route up to Arkansas, over into Nebraska, and then Wichita, and I'm like, holy shit! Like this guy really did it. So anyway, I thought that was neat. Hmm. That's a yeah, little deviation there. Yeah. <laughs> Standard deviation. Standard deviation. Um, That's a little math joke. Threw in there. <laughs> That's all the comedy we do in Asia. Just math jokes. That's what we do. <laughs> we have just for math. That's what we do. This is that a joke? Yeah, just for laughs. I got news for you people, all right? I got news for you guys. There's more of me and my kind of race than any other race on the planet. Okay, you know what that means? That means we are the majority. We dictate what is normal behavior. (laughs) So all that shit, bad driving, small digs, good at math, even if that was true, guess what? That'd be normal, right? (laughs) Because there's more of us than anyone else on the planet. We dictate what is normal behavior. I could drive down the goddamn street with my feet on the steering wheel, dancing to Gundam Star if I want to, all right? And if all of us did it, guess what? That would become the correct way to drive. <laughs> right? And it's you guys, all right, eating your potatoes, wearing your filthy shoes in the house, and your big dicks, you guys are the weirdos, okay? <laughs> you guys are the freaks. Thanks for- that's so great. Filthy and then, shoes and then he, in the house. And then he takes the, the minority stereotypes and he flips it, and yeah. it's brilliantly done like what if we were the the majority here because technically we're the majority in the world so right, right. it's our call like and uh i don't know it's a great way to it's a great angle to to attack mm-hmm. the stereotypes that everybody thinks of like just on my way here today uh i was turning left um onto euclid and the car in front of me was turning so fucking slow and it's a really short green arrow and there were a lot of people waiting i was like what are you doing and then I got alongside and it was an Asian dude. And I was like, of course it is. But I was like, why did I just think that? Like, what? Is that a bad thing? Is that, uh, I mean, it's. You just don't take it in, into account when it's not Asian. An Asian <laughs> right. well, I do, exactly. I do it whenever right. it's anybody. It's like, oh, oh it's a woman. Oh, it's another white dude. Uh, like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, Whoever yeah. it is that's driving. And Sam Morell has a joke like that. It's like, whenever you get alongside of somebody who's driving poorly, it's like, of course it is. But <laughs> <laughs> Right. You know, you just fit your narrative and it makes your day a little bit easier for yourself. I don't know. Yeah. You just justify your insane overreaction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it was worth me getting mad for that like three second time. Yeah. It's a touchy subject, but at the same time, being able to laugh at that stuff is like, like I said, I think it's, I, like, I used it to can do, bring people together. I used to do a joke 
where it was essentially, but it was a flip, right? So I'd, I'd, uh, I think I opened it up with like, yeah, on my way here, like someone almost ran into me and I know what you guys are thinking, right? Same usual terrible drivers, white men. Like that's, <laughs> and I don't know, it doesn't work supremely well, which is why I've like dropped it. <laughs> but I, I like flipping the stereotype on its head a lot of the time. Like on when I did, um, I recorded a podcast episode not long ago and I went off for a solid 20 minutes about how I believe that like have you ever heard Tim Dillon's podcast I don't think I have like he'll just say stuff that is so contrarian it's like a very Bill Burr style of comedy to a degree and like so that's that's pretty much what I did I kind of just sat there and for 20 minutes talked about how I'm pretty certain that Trump married Melania for love it's obvious and I know what you're thinking like his first wife I said the same thing and then it turned out to be like a money thing but then with his second wife it was still the same thing it wasn't but with Melania, it's definitely love. It's love all the way. You can see it in his eyes. So <laughs> I love doing shit like that, pissing everybody off. Going back to your to your white guy driving, Joe. Yeah. Like, no, like I love that sleight of hand. We were talking about that in our last episode with John Armstrong, right? Uh, where you know you're like, look over here, and then right. the the reveal at the end. That's great because when I think of that, I think of all the shitty white dude drivers in pickups that are just overly aggressive like they're in their Ford F250 there's like 18 wheels it's real like if somebody's on my ass chances are I see like a that giant Ford right in my rear view it's like dude are you like going through my trunk right now like what are you doing why are you on my ass like that look what I saw in Lakewood last week oh man yeah so wow uh, Trump flag and an American flag right on the back of this wow. pickup. Yeah, the, <laughs> the only thing that's missing is Steve's got a picture. Flag. It's a gigantic truck with a Trump flag and uh, what else was on it? Confederate flag? American flag. American, American flag. Same thing. I'm pretty desensitized <laughs> to the Confederate flag, man. People in Arkansas have that all over the place. Yeah. Like, State rats! Well, you look at the they flag, have so many. like the Arkansas state flag literally looks a lot like the Confederate flag or it has some elements of the Confederate <laughs> there flag. There are fewer stars. I mean, to be fair, it's... Be- it's because uh, they have so many sales on them, so they're actually cheaper than the American flag. Really? So it's more of a no. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the way it looks like it down there, like you'd think there was just a big sale on Confederate flags all the time. Like, just, yeah, it does have it does have. You can still be elements. patriotic and save a few bucks. I like how they are. <laughs> the Arkansas flag is <laughs> it just says oh, Arkansas. Man. Talk Whoa. about a loophole. Yeah, <laughs> that is a loophole. They were like, let's turn that axe into a diamond. Yeah, we're uh, down. It's, I mean, life is simpler down there. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they were like, well, people aren't going to know what state this is unless we put the the name on the my, flag. My thing is like, man, I get mad when people expect me to take their side in a in some kind of like in World War Two, India ended up for a while fighting on the British side, right? Mm-hmm. Like, actually, seventy seven thousand men fought in the North African theater against the Axis troops, right? Um, and I was always like, this is going to sound crazy, but if I'm leadership in India, I'm like, wait, the British have ruled us for 250 years. Why are we on your side? And it sounds right. crazy because what I'm essentially saying is, so should we have fought against them for Hitler, <laughs> which is not what I'm saying. But if you contextualize and go back to like 1930s India. And so my point bringing that story up is to say, even now when people are like, you know, you should be mad at illegal immigrants or like Democrats that are like, you should really hate Trump. Like, it's like, dude, in this country, I basically have little to no rights, right, as a, as a um, foreign citizen. Mm. And so I'm not invested in getting angry. Like whenever people get real woke and they watch a news article and they're like, this is so wrong. And it's like, I don't feel it. 
Like, I know it's wrong, but if I got mad at every racist thing that happened, like, racism is a new concept in the Trump era to a lot of people on the left. Like, they're finally seeing just how bad it is, I guess, in some ways. Um, but for those of us that look different, this is a reality of life. So you are desensitized to it. I've heard so many names called, even at comedy shows, been told to build a wall and shit bounces off of me. Like, shy of physical action, racist comments really, for the most part, don't get under my skin. Mm. Like, I, tr I try. I mean, it registers, but at a certain point, it's just like, all right, you're just saying this shit because either you're ignorant, you haven't traveled very much, or you're just trying to, like, piss me off. And, you know, so I don't Yeah, because they happen. want to see you get angry. Because right. then they're like, look, he's the angry, you know, brown guy. Right. So that it's they're, they're trying to push those buttons to get that rise out of you so they get the response that they want yeah. so they can justify uh, responding in a way that's even furthering on the racism. And the, I, the problem is I am an angry person. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that you don't respond to it probably frustrates them even more because they can't respond the way that they want because you aren't, you aren't um, you're not feeding into it either. So it's yeah. it's tough for them. I think, I'm sure they like have a hard time even computing the fact that you don't get angry. Well, that's when I first started doing stand up. Have you have you ever had like a heckler that just won't go away, and then you try your best to not let that emotionally well up so that you lose control? Like that's the hardest when someone's just being chatty or lippy during a show, and they don't give a shit that you're performing. Even if, especially if it's at a club, if it's like ambush style bar comedy, I kind of get it. But yeah. Yeah. At, a, at a club environment, yeah. if that's happening, it can be super frustrating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, funny stuff for me. Yeah, it happens a lot. Um, now, do you think do you think that uh, people doing that, like telling you to build that wall, do you think that is a projection of their own discomfort around you and they want you to feel as uncomfortable around them? I mean, is it like it's a subconscious thing? Obviously. The dude was drunk and I called him out for literally having a loud conversation in the front seat with his friend, like yeah. literally in my face looking at the guy wasted and he's chatting with his friend. And I was like, hey, man, when you shut the fuck up, Cold Stone Steve Austin, like, because he looked like Stone Cold, but fat. So I called ah, him Cold Stone. that's so funny. <laughs> call him Cold Stone. So he got mad. He goes, well, why don't you build that wall? And like, I get it. I made fun of his physical appearance. <laughs> I cautioned him, though. I was like, Sir, right, hey, man, I can hear you. And then like, he kept going. I was that's when I tell you to shut the yeah. fuck up. And for whatever reason, like, if someone can't fight you, and that's not kosher, right? Like, he's either going to, like, he could throw a punch at me from the front row, but so what's the next thing you can do that might hurt is to say some something racist and you're probably going to get away with it because it's a comedy show and like people love to do that i think the comics they'll say dumb shit and when you don't take it well they're like oh i thought you were a comedian yeah you can't take a joke like and so i built i wrote a bit literally out of that interaction because he said that and then i was like you sure you want me to build it there's gonna be a lot of holes <laughs> like i'm letting everybody in yeah so yeah I'm okay with like going down with the ship. Like it's just one show. I get to do it the next day usually. Yeah. And I'll be like, no, fuck you. Here's terrible Steve that's not funny anymore. And I fucking hate you. And I will totally cut the cord on this. Terrible, <laughs> terrible Steve is a sight to behold. That's oh for my sure. god, I love it though. I used yeah, to Yeah, me too. I like watching Steve get mad at a crowd member and okay. just the way you can eviscerate a person is you it's get, it's very massive. You get to do it the next day, and it's all clean slate. Then, yeah. My thing though is like, Sweet. do you not feel like you're sacrificing the quality? Of the, obviously, you shouldn't have to sacrifice your dignity in the interaction. But then you've got ninety other people there watching the show, 
and now all they can feel is fuck. Is this guy gonna explode at me next? You know what I mean? Oh no, it's that's different. There's a shit ton of people. Well, there's I've never really had that happen with a big audience of like fresh audience members that have never seen me before. It's usually just a smaller show gotcha. at a bar or a poorly attended funny stop type of situation. Mm-hmm. Then you know whatever. Just go go for it. <laughs> yeah, I just don't just go care. in. We've talked a lot about minority groups, um, and I wanted to uh, play this clip uh, by Michael Shea uh, about white women because, uh, I mean, is every this group. Is just for laughs? Yes. Yeah, it's I such a good set. It is good. It's um, such a good joke. But, I mean, there's stereotypes for every single – it, like, makes our brain processes easier so we don't have to be like, all right, this person, what are they about? Your brain just immediately goes to something, and it makes it easier – do, do you think there have been a ton – this is what's interesting to me about this social evolution. I, in my life before this, and granted, like, maybe I haven't – I've been in the United States 12 years, been doing comedy for about five or six. This is the first time I feel like there is a solid, widely recognized stereotype for white women at large. There's that Karen-Becky stereotype, Karen being, like, the older, call your manager, mm-hmm. Kate Gosselin haircut person. Reese Witherspoon getting out of a ticket. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's, like, the Beckys, which is, like, the White Claw and, you know, like, all of that stuff. Like, hot yoga stereotype. It feels like that, those two stereotypes came alive in the last two years. I mean, before that, they were more rude stereotypes. Like, you should be in the kitchen. Like, that bullshit. Yeah. But that's just women at, like, that was something about women at large. Like, just sexist stereotypes. But this is, you don't hear women of other countries being described in the way that your Karens and Beckys of the world are. Right. And I feel it's funny because it's more of a niche stereotype. I right. feel like the further and further along, the more niche the stereotypes are gonna be like, oh, those those Jewish Thai Muslim women like yeah. <laughs> with three kids always do this, you know. Be it, like it feels like where there was like a boom with how niche comedy could get. And I think it's gonna slowly start shrinking back. Because people can't just sustain that level of information for that long. Right. You look at Netflix's stand-up uh, expenditures, it's actually shrunk this year. Like, they put out a plethora of specials. I think they acquired a bunch of new consumers and data on what people like to watch. And now it's kind of swinging back towards the center. Yeah, they put so many specials out last mm-hmm. year. And then, yeah, you're right. Um and one of them wasn't Michael Che. I know he's working on a new special. I'm not sure when that's going to Matters was a great special. I think yeah. that's what it's called, right? Matters? Shea Matters. Yeah. Or Shea Lives Matter or something. I don't know. All right, here it is. Uh, Michael Che, White Women, Just for Laughs, 2015. I, listen, I have a very strange relationship with race. Uh, you, I might say some weird thing. Like, I was in an elevator with this white lady, right? Not on purpose. But I went in. <laughs> I'm saying, like, I wasn't following her or nothing. I was... <laughs> I just went in the elevator with her, and she was already in there, and uh, the door's closed, right? And uh, she looks over at me, and then she grabs her purse real tight. And I got scared. I was like, if anything happens to this white lady's purse, I'm going to prison for the rest of my life. I'm terrified of white women. And I should be, because white women are terrified. You guys do things like, white women took Brooklyn. Uh, You know how dangerous Brooklyn used to be before white women took it? It was the scariest place in the world. I remember rappers used to talk about Brooklyn. They'd be like, don't ever come to Brooklyn. I'll fucking kill you if you ever walk through Brooklyn. And I'm like, this is a dope song, but I'm never going to Brooklyn. <laughs> I was so afraid of Brooklyn, and all of a sudden, some rich white girls from Seattle was like, Brooklyn's mine's now. And then I was just there, so now they took Brooklyn. I think white girls killed Biggie. I think that was phase one. 
think that's the first thing. White women are brave. Look at your brave faces. It's a very diverse group of white women. <laughs> white women are scared. They rescue pit bulls for fun. You know how dangerous you gotta be to rescue a pit bull? If I seen a stray pit bull walk in my neighborhood, I wouldn't walk in that neighborhood anymore. A white girl take that pit bull home, put a sweater on it. This dog used to win tournaments. Now his name's Nicole, and vegan <laughs> treats out of some white lady's hands. How dangerous you gotta be to convince a pit bull he doesn't eat meat anymore? White girl dangerous. If I was president, if I had my way, I'd have an all-white girl army. I really would. I'd solve all the world's problems with white women. ISIS, send white women. I'll build the Trader Joe's right in the middle of Syria. <laughs> Give me two summers. ISIS will be the first terror organization forced out due to rent increase. <laughs> <laughs> ISIS is mine now. Syria used to be sketchy, but now it's pretty chill. Uh, <laughs> He's so good, man. He's so good. Uh, and, and, I mean, you can, you, there's stereotypes for every single group, every single thing. It's just, you gotta acknowledge, I mean, you gotta acknowledge them first and then go from there. Like, you, you, you listen can't to Bill like Burr's, exist. Um, Bill Burr's last special, where he's like, I'm not sure what's happening. Uh, what, what's the, yeah, I think that's a joke. I'm not sure what's happening, but I'm pretty sure white women started it. Like, that's, that's yeah. the whole line. Yeah. Um, man, that's great. I love that bit. It just builds and builds. Yeah, from I mean, just it's brilliant because I mean he he sets it up with like Brooklyn, man. That was the scariest place on earth. Mm-hmm. You go to Brooklyn, you get shot, and like I didn't go to Brooklyn, but then <laughs> white women are like, "This is mine's now." Like that's such, yeah. and then and then he throws in the supporting details, the pit bulls, you know, the, the rent increase, rent increase. That's where it got me. Yeah, it makes me makes me actually thankful I'm married to a white woman. Yeah, you made the right choice, yeah. Jeremy. You made the right choice. Keep That's... your enemies close. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Jeremy, Jeremy Demery sleeping with the enemy. <laughs> you should do that on stage. I don't know if you are, but yeah, that, that would make a great bit. Yeah. I do think about her being white all the time, and like, <laughs> she is. I, I, she's the only. She's the only person I've ever been with where I'm like ultra sensitive about how. Like, I'm constantly checking in. Like, are you upset right now? Is everything all right? How are you doing? Like, and to yeah. a point that annoys her, uh-huh. and then I, and then I get nervous. So like, oh, I just pissed her off. Like I poked the bear. That sounds healthy. <laughs> <laughs> how about now? Are you annoyed yeah. now? I should text to see how she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good. You should definitely you should definitely put that on stage. Yeah. And then uh, the last one I wanted to play. I think uh, Sam Real makes a lot of good points um, in this bit. It's I remember seeing this bit years ago. Um, and uh, it, it like brings everything together. It's like, well, how do we solve this race problem? And uh, have you listened to it? This is from his album, Class Act. Food helps everything. You can't be racist when you're eating good food. That's why I hate that terrorist group, Al-Shabaab. They sound fucking delicious. <laughs> you can't be pure evil and yummy sounding. That's unacceptable. That's like if there was an Italian extremist group named the Marinara Boys. <laughs> Al-Shabaab. That sounds like somebody I'd order drunk. Okay, let me get some of that all shabab with like a side of Hamas. 
guys. I hate them. I do. It's a pretty ballsy statement to make in Manhattan. <laughs> terrorists. I hate the terrorists. This, I, and I love how he like kind of draws attention to that like wokeness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I hate the terrorists. The hot to... take. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like no, no shit. You should hate the terrorists. And then he, he know. was great at hilarities. Like a, a week, was it a week ago? Or yeah, so yeah, yeah. great. Yeah, do you guys all saw him too. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. I Anytime didn't get to see him, town. but I just wanted to agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was there. You guys, yeah. I felt like I was yeah. there. <laughs> all right, let's continue. Some of you were looking at my eyebrows, like, how much do you really hate the terrorists? <laughs> I do, I hate them. I have a terrorist look, but I have like a very pale look, so it's kind of, I look more like the ghost of a terrorist. <laughs> I look like one of the guys that came back to warn them, don't do it, you don't really get the virgins. <laughs> food helps everything. You can't be racist when you're eating good food. Jews, we have bagels. I go to pick a bagel all the time. Yeah, great spot, right? It's a great name, too. Not every place lets you pick. I can't tell you how often I walk into a bagel where they just throw a bagel down. They're like, pumpernickel, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I'm like, I wanted sesame. They're like, what do you think? This says pick a bagel. <laughs> this is designate a bagel, Jew boy. <laughs> Jew boy? Such anti-Semitism. Black people have soul food. Arabs have the halal, which is magical. You can't be racist when you're eating chicken over rice. You can be racist when you're digesting it, but not when you're eating it. <laughs> it's too good. I'm eating that. I'm like, maybe 9-11 was an inside job. <laughs> It's so good. That's why gays need their own cuisine. <laughs> It'd be harder to be homophobic if you're like, dude, do you want to order in some gay? <laughs> You'd be like, I don't know, that stuff tears my ass apart. <laughs> the white sauce is good, though. I'll give you that. But otherwise, I know, guys. <laughs> I think the, the thing that makes it so acceptable coming from him is that you can kind of you, you you can feel the intent that is that it's not malicious in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, Sam. Uh, well, he he jokes about his eyebrows. Like he kind of softens the blow. Like he's like, I'm gonna, I'm about to say something that might offend a lot of people. Let me make fun of myself first, then let's get to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It. Uh, I mean, makes himself likable. Like he he re he. This week, this past or two weekends ago, hilarities. Um, no, that was last weekend. Yeah, wow. last week. Damn, it seems like so long ago. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he was masterful at losing the audience, pulling them back with the next joke. Losing them, pulling them back. But he would, he would draw attention to it every time. It was like, um, you know, he would, he would say, oh, what, you were, you, you were here for the, for the abortion joke, but you weren't here for the right. suicide joke. Right. Like, there's a crowd that loves abortions. And, he, and it would get a laugh. It was, it was good. It was well-structured. But this, um, he takes stereotypes and he breaks it down to food. Like, you can't. If you like good food, like, there's right. no stereotype. Like, well, yeah, it's it's and it's it's. I mean, it's he goes wide with it, right? Like he does a couple different. He does terrorism, he does the gay community, he does like a couple, and then he does Italian food, Arab food. Like it's all over the map, which mm -hmm. is that's I think that's what works about it too. Yeah, so. you need good food. That's that's the that's the solution to all the world's problems, right? It's good food. Yeah, Let's just share food. food, man. Yeah. Food and comedy. I mean, those are two experiences selling, that bring people you're together. You're selling your six courses. I was just yeah. leading into it. <laughs> food and comedy. Don't do don't do an Arab food version of six courses because Arab food's like it sounds like they you're did it last up, time. You th oh, did they? they? They had like a hummus dish, right? 
Yeah. And falafel. Well, it was all like Mediterranean. But no, that was just one. It was one course. Oh. It was one course. So that's, for those that don't know, what is Six Courses of Comedy? I'm not going to plug my own show, but Six Courses of Comedy <laughs> is a comedy and culinary experience fe- featuring six of the funniest local comedians, six courses paired with each one of those comedians' jokes, and six cocktails paired with each course. There you go. Yeah. I read a, a pussy joke, and now all of a sudden I'm eating free lobster. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, 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 yeah wrong. It, <laughs> We're comedians. We're not going to solve all the world's problems. But yes, we are. <laughs> we're, it, that's I like what to people think. seem to like. That's what they say, but it's never going to happen because we'll never be organized enough. Right? Have you have you seen that meme that's floating around the internet where it's like uh, the flight attendant comes on and she's like, "Hey, is there uh, a doctor on board?" Um, <laughs> and then the dad is like, "Hey, go ask, go see if they need a comedian right now." And the comic is like, no, I don't think this is a good time. And the comic's dad is like, no, no, go ahead. Tell him a dick joke. See if that works. Like, And that's a meme that has been refashioned a million times right now for like other professions. But I legitimately think like, if someone offered me, if, if there was an emergency on a plane, they're like, hey, do we have a comedian on board? I'd be like, hell yeah, give me that PA. I'm doing a type <laughs> five. <Yeah. laughs> Keeping everyone's spirits high while this match. I've had four people have seizures at shows. My seizure count is four. Four that's different slow. shows, people had, had seizures. Wow. I don't know. I don't have like strobe lights on or anything. I just think I don't know what's happening to these people in different states too. While while you're on stage. uh, Either while I'm on or seconds before I'm on, sometimes while. Yeah. So it's been both. How do you deal with that? Two two times the show was stopped briefly. Mm. Um, It was in New York at Eastville Comedy Club. And so, like, you know, someone's grandmom had, uh, I think, fainted or something happened. Um, and then we had to pause until, I guess, they, they got her out of there. And then we kicked the show back on. But, like, that is the hardest. If you think, like, a bad joke is hard to come back from, try grandma had a seizure. Like, that is, the crowd is not into it at that point. They're just yeah. like, hey, man, death was in this room for a brief second. And you're like, yeah, but let me tell you about this fast food religions joke guy get the fuck out of here bro <laughs> did you did you draw attention to it I mean you I feel like you have to address the elephant in the room uh, I mean Andrew Schultz has that bit right where he like makes fun of a woman that had a seizure mm-hmm. at his show yeah. I we those of us on that show didn't because it was I think the the grandma was uh, one of the comics grandmas oh. so like we didn't go there with it but in a bigger club environment I'm sure yeah I'm sure you would have Man. To. yeah Man. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. So, as comedians, we're not going to solve the world's problems, but I'd like to think that, I mean, holding up the mirror is vitally important to progression, and that's why I hate like this fake wokeness. It's like you, you have to draw you have to draw attention to it to, to create a solution to the problem. You can't just like eliminate the problem. You've got to right address it and then go from there and figure out like what do we want and we want to connect like humans just want to connect with one another right sure i mean that's what that's what comedy is it's creating connections between a setup and a punchline to create a connection with the audience to you know i don't know that's very woke of you to say yeah. <laughs> that's all it is no you're right you're right i mean yeah i just i think we're in a time where people are overreaching uh, i this quote's attributed to him but i don't know if it's him um, but Bill Burry's like, this is out there. It's fair play. But in here, like this, this is my dojo, right? Like I set the rules and the construct. So if you're getting offended at shit at a comedy club, it's not a safe space. I hate people that 
you know, I don't understand this notion that comedy needs to be a safe and include, like, it needs to be a physically safe, inclusive space where things get said that may not be, I mean, for comedic effect, yes, if someone just goes up there and starts yelling racial slurs, that's not okay, but... <laughs> within the, within the parameters of a joke or especially an open mic like you know just ease up like people aren't out there town crying or getting on a soapbox at least yeah I, I mean how awful is the situation of when people don't know where that line is i mean you see that in open mics constantly where they're like well they think that they're testing the boundaries of comedy but really they're just being racist yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's no really thought into the joke like i don't mind uh, people getting into racist topics, as long as if there's a thought in uh, the thought process behind the joke. But when people are just going up there and just being blatantly racist, that's that's where the problem lies. Right. I like um, uh, Chappelle's last special. Like people thought it was. I, I my opinion, or Bill Burr's is a good example too. Like people thought it was a lot more controversial than I thought it was because you can, if you listen to the guy's words. And how well thought out that joke is, you can you can feel the intent of what it is. Like we judge ourselves based off of our intentions, right? But we judge other people based off of their actions. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, good, good point. It it like oh this person said this, and it's like well they were trying to make a point that you're completely missing. Context is important. Uh, one time Dan Higgins was like, hey, remember when you said that one Jew joke and that Jewish lady left? And I'm like, you need to say <laughs> what I said because you don't understand that like when people hear this out of context, they're just like, oh, Steve's an anti-Semite. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, it, you know, it's one of those things like some people don't understand how irony works or they just aren't don't have that sense of humor, you know. And it's like in my position, sometimes I, I like to say I'm in a position where I'm a white guy, so if I'll, I'll start talking about race, you have to make it feel good. If you're going to talk about something, do it from a positive angle. Make everybody feel great about what you said. Not, I mean, that is separate from irony. That's like those are two different animals. You shouldn't mix the two either, I don't think. I mean, you can't, it's an inconsistency. You know, people will tense up when you start talking about race or ethnicity or whatever, and then it's like you have to release that tension with that feel good. Oh, I totally agree with that. I'm laughing. Right. It's funny, and I agree. Boom. Yeah, you've got to get it's him to listen. It's reasonable. It's coming from a good place, like that kind of thing. It's like really listen, not just like hear the words that I'm saying, but right. like what is my intent for what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I mean, that's that's how you bridge that gap. Because the second you say something that makes somebody uncomfortable, chances are they just shut down. Right. And it's like, what am I about to say next? It's going to make you feel better, but okay, like go. This is the only Go reason tweet I about it. added the Mormonism thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> made all the Christians feel weird. They will yeah. laugh at the Hinduism stuff after. Yeah. Oh, the Buddhism one is my favorite, though. That's yeah. <laughs> that's like, oh, uh, that hit me. That hit tension me. release. Yeah. <laughs> tension release. Um, yeah, I mean, stereotypes create that tension. It's just a matter of finding a way to release that and making that connection with the people that are the afflicted or the people that are the afflicting. I mean, it's all about connection, right? I feel like that's what it can be boiled down to. You know, if you make a connection, a good connection, you can like do that stereotype joke. You can laugh about it. It's I like don't I don't get like where you're saying like with new comics and they're like testing the waters and they think they're being all subversive and shit. And it's like you're missing all the good things that these pro comics are doing to right. make that shit work. Right. It's right. like you guys went right to the like the nth level of George Carlin, and we're I think they attempt things that are way outside. Yeah, no, I don't know. You, you, gotta, you nailed it though. They missed it. all the good stuff, yeah. all the stagger yeah. steps to get up there. Yeah, yep. 
we uh, we like to to close our show by introducing our guests. Uh, we do it a little <laughs> bit backwards. Nice. <laughs> yeah, because it's not a, it's about the idea. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, you have so much good material about stereotypes. So Thanks, we'd have you on. Yeah, man, you're you're an expert at at pushing and then pulling back in and. You know, we want to pick your brain a little bit. So, uh, Raj, you've done comedy how long? Like, what got you into it? Oh, uh, five to six years. Started by drinking. Yeah. <laughs> Drank too much with a buddy. Ended up at an open mic. Did 15 minutes my first time. Um, thought, <laughs> I thought people were taking pictures of me. Turns out it was just the MC lighting me. I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> classic. That is classic. Classic mix up. So, you know, talk about open mic comic like that day one that was me Crushed it. no idea you know no sense of etiquette i would go to open mics do my set leave immediately after um and yeah so uh of that 15 minutes there's a grand 30 seconds that's half decent and the rest is just utter tripe i just i've watched the video of it and it's Whoa. just yeah it's i mean like in the video my friend took it right and he left it running once i came back to the table as soon as i sit down there's some old white dude giving me advice <laughs> and he's not a comedian he's just a guy drinking at a bar wow um, they know best i went up in tennis shorts like this was after a tennis game we drank beer and ended up at open mic so yeah i uh, did it mostly in arkansas been in cleveland a year and uh, it's been a fun ride traveling doing a lot um doing a lot of fun shit what made you stick with it? I mean, what made you start with alcohol? <laughs> I don't know. I've, or was there more to it than that? Like, have you did you look at it when you were a kid? And like, yeah, this I've is. watched a lot of. So I grew up overseas. So there wasn't there aren't comedy clubs in Bahrain. You know, there's not like a none of that stuff in the in, in that scene. in that small island. There wasn't anything like that. So this was back in the uh, LimeWire days. So that's uh, I guess the easiest thing to download because it would seed really fast or it was torrented very well by by a lot of people it was like chris rock's first three specials um so there are a handful of comics that i watched but i'd never thought about doing comedy i just i would write all the time and then one day i just end up on stage and just stuck with it i liked it i think that's what it was and i felt like okay i've got something here um and just as a creative outlet i guess yeah and then since then, I've, I've done it, like, practically every day in some format. I've invested some time in comedy. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a process. It's a practice. You, know? right. you have to get up as much as possible. Um, so, I mean, that's obviously the big difference between Cleveland and... Yeah. Pre- like, you can the get volume, up every day. Yeah. Right. The volume of um, mics is it's immense. You know, there's some nights where you could get on three times a night versus Arkansas was going on one time a month. Yeah. Um, and I don't necessarily think that stage time is vital to, it's not the only thing that matters. Like there's a lot of guys that go up and do the same set at a million mics and it's like, are you, but are you actively changing lines within the joke? Are you thinking through what steps you want to do? Or is this just, you just want to get up and perform and get comfortable? Like there has to be a tangible thought process behind what benefits you want mic to mic. Um, and a lot of it too is like, I've watched how people work on the scene here, right? So, like, Mary records every single set and, like, actively writes and rewrites. Um, Bill has a ton of insight on how to literally navigate social media, but also he's masterful at managing the crowd energy. Steve, great writer. Even you, Dave, like, like watching how you host and run shows. Like, all of these little pieces are things that you, if I, if I don't do it as well, I don't try to emulate or copy it, but I definitely get inspired and, and learn from what people are doing that's, different um i told jeremy after the show we did saturday i was just like man like you do a really intelligent brand of comedy and it has to find the right room so 
it, everybody yeah. here has, um, I would say, you know, just there's a high bar of of entry. It doesn't feel like there's, it feels like everybody's doing something unique. And there's obviously that open mic level of, of comedy with, what's his name? Crematorium Sam or whatever the guy is. So there's there's that, right? Which Anywho. Yeah. So <laughs> the city has a lot to offer, a lot to learn. The transition here, as tricky as it was, it's led to a lot. In terms of comedy growth, I, f- I feel like I've grown more in this year than I did in the last two just by sheer virtue of being a around really good comics all the time. Um, B hilarity's being down the street. Like it's one of the best clubs you could choose to work at. And even if you don't, you know, work there all the time, just watching the people that do, you see like watching Mark Norman, watching Sam, um, do go up last week. It's like, damn, like these guys are at a level that takes years and years and years to get to. And I don't know how he writes like, an album every year or two years and still does a f- full hour. And he was filming himself that night. Right. So the work ethic is more than anything else. I think what I take away from the Cleveland scene, it just feels like people are actively hustling beyond just doing the mic. Like they're trying to figure out how to scale it. And that that's unique to see. I'm with you. Like it pushes me to be better seeing, right. You know, people like you guys are always working. So yeah, makes me want to be better too. Um, cool. Any, uh, any words of wisdom, for like any newer comics that would be listening to this or um, especially about like the topic that we covered today. Quit. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, All right. You heard uh, it here first. <laughs> quit while you're ahead. No, you if you enjoy it, stay at it, but work hard. Like don't, I always, I think the way I look at it is like, if you're just up there, first of all, don't put out a Facebook video of yourself for years. Like don't do it in your first, don't do it for years. I have a grand total of maybe five minutes of my standup online and it's literally so bookers can see it and make a decision. The rest is on the album. Like contain the output so that you know that when you release something, it's good. Don't be afraid to take your time getting there. And then maybe, I don't know, always have value for the time on stage because what it is is somebody else's time. So if you're going to go up there for five minutes and dick around, don't. Like just do the three and get the fuck off. Yeah. Make it high quality. And everybody on the scene will like you better for it. Like, no one likes the guy that goes long. I've been that guy sometimes, and I've had my my knuckles wrapped for it by comics at, like, you know, good comics at other clubs. Take your lumps and learn from it, really. And, yeah, try not to drink all the time. That's probably one thing I would change if I could go back. I had a year where I did it sober, and it was a great year of growth. So, yeah, those are the tips that I have. Don't do the cocaine. I've been offered cocaine many a time in in my comedy uh, mm. journey, and I've never done the cocaine. I just I'd say like the dropout rate is high. Like <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of guys that come in just to do open mic. They get they fall in love with the quote unquote glamour of comedy and whatever that lifestyle entails. Yeah, next year the guy's gone. Yep, they or just he's not as good. Like yeah. They're there to be a comedian, not yeah. to be funny. They watched yeah. Kinnison a couple times, watched a documentary about Hedberg, and now they want to live that entire life without putting in the work that those guys did. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's rough. Bro, so. The over-romanticization mm-hmm. of comedy. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Just be funny. Raj, yeah. you're funny. What's your, uh, where can we find you on it's, social? It's at Raj Does Comedy, R-A-J Does Comedy, on pretty much every single social platform. Google Plus, yep. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The album. If you're looking, <laughs> yeah. If you're looking for the album, it's on every streaming service. Um, there, you will have to type in Raj, and my last name is Suresh, S-U-R-E-S-H, 
And hopefully, I think if you guys release this on Spotify, it'll show up under. Like it, you should just be able to click my name, right? Like as an artist. There's there this. was somebody else that popped up. <laughs> there, <laughs> yeah, some dude named Raj Suresh. Uh, the album is what semi famous. Semi famous, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so look that up. Semi-famous Raj Suresh. It's very funny. Um, a few like I love how I can see some of the bits that you do on stage now right. have evolved from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes that it borrows from. Mm-hmm. It's gotten better. Julian was right. Like he was like these jokes will get better, but at the same time, it's like the advice that I gave out, which is wait until it's about as good as it can get before you release it. Definitely have other people look at your work before you make that decision. Have, right. have If you can get a label involved that has production experience, get that. Find comedy mentors and have them obsess, obsessively pour over your work as much as their time allows. Yeah, because people who are more successful than you want to talk about their success and right. want to share that. with. I mean, it's, it's an ego thing, but it's helpful for everybody. So, yeah, people want to help, for sure. Uh, Jeremy? Facebook.com slash G-H-E-R-A-M-Y. Jeremy, the, the, the benefit of having a unique name is literally it's that's it. Yeah, that's it. I was like, and your last name, yeah. <laughs> and then no, that's it. And then Instagram, it's uh, at Jeremy underscore Demery dot com. It would have been just Jeremy Demery, but I had the first there was another account. Jeremy Demery. No, there was a, you fucked uh, up. The first account I made, I forgot the password too, ah, so I had to make a second account. Got it. That's so. funny. All right, and then Gold Knock Studios definitely. If you're looking to start a podcast. Uh, Jeremy's great to work with. It's a great room, uh, and there's water. Sometimes there's C- <laughs> sometimes there's CBD soda. Uh, and then Steve at Stephen Mers on Twitter at Steve Mers Instagram. Very good. I'm uh, I'm the David Horning on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, well, you can check out. I have two websites: DavidHorningComedy.com and WaterCoolerComedy.org. Because .com was taken, of course. Um, yeah. So we. I think we uh, we. We did it. We did it. We did it. Did it was great. No it matter what great. it is, there is a way that you can. I am pumped. This is the first podcast I was on. Yeah. Thank you for yes. Thank you for agreeing to come out from behind it the curtain. Was great. Uh, have a great day, guys. Catch you next time. I want to clap. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at you can't laugh pod. Or like us on Facebook if you can't laugh at that and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.